Hi, it's Carolina. I'm so excited that you could join us on the City Point Redcliffe podcast. We're about to go into a message that I delivered recently, and I hope that it encourages you, it inspires you, and it launches you further in your walk with Jesus. That's my heart for you as you listen. If it does encourage you, why not share it with someone who you think could do with hearing it as well? And subscribe so that you don't miss any of the messages that are uploaded every single week. For now, sit back, enjoy, and I hope that you get blessed. The message that I want to share tonight is something really, really close to my heart, some kind of life message that I've carried since the earliest days of my walk with Jesus. I don't know whether you've ever felt like an outsider to the things of God. I don't know if there's anyone in the room who has ever felt not qualified, there's ever felt like you know, I'm not sure whether, whether God would include me. I feel like there's just so much in my past that disqualifies me. And God is all about those kinds of people. He's all about those kinds of people. And, and this tonight's story, tonight's message is about an outsider who was the most unlikely of selections when it comes to the kingdom of God. And and the pursuit that this person had in chasing the Lord and identifying Him and crying out to Him and then being included into the narrative of God's kingdom in the most profound way. I don't know if you come from a dysfunctional background. I don't know if you come from a bunch of shame, a bunch of different things. I just want to encourage you today that actually the Lord loves to use those sorts of people. He actually loves to use those sorts of people. And so to give us a bit of context, we're talking about the Israelites. And I love the story of the Israelites. I love it because I see so much of us in their story. They're so ridiculously stupid. And I'm like, I'm so glad we're not like that at all. I read their story and I'm like, oh my goodness, how can you possibly be behaving like that when the Lord has been so good to you? But from the outside looking in, we can just go, that's really, really dumb. But often in our lives, we forget the goodness of God and we carry on doing the wrong things. And here we have the story of the Israelites who have been in slavery for 400 years and the Lord has delivered them and he's, he's raised up Moses. Moses does incredible miracles. Like, I mean, we've got some pretty amazing leaders in our church. Can we welcome our new worship pastor, Jared Grant? I mean, Jared's pretty awesome. Cam's pretty awesome. But I don't know if any of us have parted a sea or seen like manna just, you know, or quail fly in, right? And so this guy, Moses, does the most amazing miracles at the, you know, at the will of the Lord. And the Israelites continue to sort of backpedal and continue to complain. And the Lord says, I'm taking my people, the Israelites, into the promised land, into a land that is like beyond imagination. It's amazing. It's full of provision. They're going to inhabit cities they didn't have to build. They're going to reap, you know, um, harvests they didn't have to plant. The Lord is literally going to give them the promise. And so they're, they're coming out of um, Egypt, out of slavery, and they come up to the promised land. It's a city called Jericho, and, and Moses sends in spies. And they spy out the land. And of the 12, 
10 of them have a negative report. 10 of them are like, yeah, it is awesome, but it's filled with giants and it's scary and we can't do this. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, are like, no, wait, don't listen to that report because if the Lord has said it, then He will do it. We just need to hang on in faith. Two out of 10 believe the Lord and try to persuade 1.5 million people not to be afraid and to trust the Lord. Well, the whole contingent of the Israelite nation follow the negative report. And so the whole nation wanders around in a ten, what should have been an 11-day journey, took them 40 years. 40 years. That is so frustrating. And the whole time, the purpose of that is that the Lord said, well, all of this generation who didn't believe will pass away. They will not see the promise. And then once that generation has passed away is when I'll take my people into the promised land. Well, guess who out of the previous generation are the only two who make it into the promised land? Joshua and Caleb. But I just imagine how frustrated they would have been for 40 years, you know, going, we could already be in there. They're putting up with the grumbling and complaining. And here we are, and we come up to the story uh, in in Joshua 2, and what happens is that, that the previous generation has all passed away, and now Joshua is the new leader. Moses has passed away, the whole previous generation has passed away, brand new nation, and they come up to the same place he stood 40 years ago. And he's like, okay guys, we're here. This time he sends in two spies. <laughs> And he sends them in to spy out the land. Now they go in and they go in to check it all out. So they're finally back at the border. They go in to check it out and before they make their attack. And these two spies come up to Jericho and it's a fortress. And it's surrounded by a wall so big that people lived in it. And it was big enough for apartments. And this was the wall of Jericho. No one could go in or out without being screened, identified, because it was a, a fortress for the rest of Canaan. And so here they are, and they come up, and they, they somehow need to get into the promised land without being detected, so they can scout it out. Why? Because all the rumors of the God of the Israelites have put fear into all the other nations. So if they're identified going into Jericho, they're going to be killed. They, you know, everyone's afraid of the God of Israel. So they go in in disguise, possibly in disguise. And the Bible tells us in Joshua, <laughs> they come to the house of a harlot named Rahab. Now I'm going to keep this as PG as possible. How did two good godly men end up in the house of a harlot? Do you ever stop and ask questions? Like the Bible just says they ended up in the house of a harlot named Rahab. And we just keep reading. I'm like, hang on a minute. How? What on earth happened there? And so I have done a little bit of reading into the context of the time because this fascinates me. I love studying scripture and the bits that are left out. What possibly could have happened? Like this odd situation, this odd, odd situation 
they ended up in the house of a harlot named Rahab. Now let me tell you about Rahab. Rahab lived in the wall of Jericho and conducted quite a lucrative business in her line of work. Trusted by the king, becomes an informant to the king possibly. And so she probably lived right near the gate that let people in and out. And so you, ha- you see now this situation where you've got these two men, they need to get into Jericho to spy it out. <laughs> and you've got this woman, Rahab, who is a part of the, you know, this ungodly people, pagan nation. The things that they did and the way that they conducted their lives were absolutely abhorrent to the things of God. Like we're talking the complete opposite. We're talking the sort of stuff you wouldn't say out loud at a dinner party is the way that these people lived their lives. And not only is she a part of that nation, she's a harlot in that nation and an informant to the king. And we find her perched in her window, surveying the land as people are coming and going. There's guards on the gate, checking everyone that's coming in. Do you see the picture? And she's looking. And we find out later, which we'll read, that in all of her days and in all of the wealth that she managed to accumulate for herself and in, in the lifestyle that she had, the, the gods that they served, the way that they lived their lives, the riches, the trust that she had with the king, she lived a life that was still so dissatisfied that she was looking for something more. She was looking for something more. And somehow, she identified them. No one else did, but she did. And somehow, these two men end up in her house. In the meantime, the guards get a little bit suspicious about this couple that Rahab had taken up into her house. And so they go and they check out her house. But I want to know, how did they get in there? I want to know, how did she know that it was them that she was looking for? How did she get their attention? I want to know all these sorts of things. And the guards come up, they're suspicious. She hides them in her ceiling and she tells the guards a bogus story. Yeah, they were here, but I told them to go out this way and she actually makes up a story. If you go this way and pursue this way, you'll find them. They're hiding in the ceiling. Can you imagine at that point what they're thinking? Probably this is a really bad idea. What are we doing here? What are we doing here? But she's so well trusted by the king that the guards don't even question her. They actually go off looking in the direction that she said. And so we read in Joshua 2, brings us up to where we're at. Joshua 2, 18, uh, 8, sorry, to 14, she makes a bargain with these two guys. I want you to hear the desperation in her heart. I want you to hear the discernment and the wisdom in her heart. Now, before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you this land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt.' 
And what you did for the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. Listen, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Can you just picture this? Imagine who it is saying these words. Imagine her scenario, her life, and it's brought her to the point where she makes this confession. I know that with everything I've experienced, I now know that it's your God who is the Lord above all lords on earth and heaven. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I've shown kindness to you, that you'll show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token and spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. So the men answered her, our lives for yours, if none of you tell of this business of ours, and it shall be that when the Lord has given the land to us, that we will deal kindly and truly with you. And so she gives them instructions on how to avoid the, the ones that are chasing them. And she lets them out. I love the symbolism and the threads that run through the Bible. Lets them out via a scarlet cord, a red cord symbolizing the blood of Jesus. Lets them out that way and they make an escape. They bring a favorable report to Joshua saying, yep, these guys are petrified. The Lord is definitely handing this place over to us. And as some of you would know, then Joshua brings the people up to, the, up to Jericho and then God gives him a ludicrous plan. Lord, give me a battle plan of how to take over this, na this, this city. Sure, Joshua, march around the city for six days in silence. And, and on the seventh day, just praise me with everything you've got in me and the walls will fall down. Good plan, God. Good plan, Lord. That's why he's God and we're not. That's why he's got supernatural power and we don't. We just need to obey. And so he does just that. And on the seventh day, it happens. And in verse 22, it says, But Joshua said, as the walls are falling down, he said that to the two men who spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house and from there bring out the woman and all that she has as you swore to her. And the young men who had been the spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. But they burned the city and everything that was in it with fire, only the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron they put in the treasury of the house of the Lord. Verse 25, And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day, because she hid the messengers who Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. So tonight, just quickly, before my voice runs out, what can we learn from this woman? And I don't know, maybe I'm in a room full of perfect people. But maybe there's a couple of people in the room, and you've lived life. And you know it is not what it's cracked up to be. You know that in your living, you are high and dry. You know that in all you're getting, you are still wanting. You know that in filling your life with the things of the world, you're still completely empty. 
Maybe there's someone like that in the room. And what we can learn from her and the title of our message is the thread of redemption. What the Lord can do in and through a life like Rahab's. And the first thought is that he redeems the past. He does. He redeems the past. As I studied this amazing woman's life, scholars can confirm for us that in those days, children were often given to the king as a peace offering, like an alliance. So if you have one of my children to do with as you wish, so that we've got you know, maybe a tax exemption or whatever it might be. So some people believe that maybe Rahab was actually given to the king at a young age as a concubine. And what happens then is she gets used and then thrown on the trash heap of life. Her family may very well have been the ones who denied her the opportunity of an integrous life. Her family may very well have been the ones who made this alliance and she was going to be the sacrificial lamb on their behalf. And so here she is now, and instead of just being thrown on the trash heap of life, she's allowed to conduct this business of hers and become an informant to the king. Why am I saying all this? Because I know that there are people here and that, that maybe family, maybe friends, maybe people in your life you feel like have sold you out. You feel like you've been ripped off at the hands of somebody else. And what I learned from Rahab is so powerful. Do you know what? As a pastor, I cannot help a victim. Someone with a victim mentality chooses to have a victim mentality. But I can help someone who has a victorious mentality. Someone who says, you know what? No matter what lies in my yesterday, I'm going to rise up. I'm not going to let what others have done to me or what life has done to me limit me. And we see this woman not only protect herself. Who does she protect? The ones who hurt her. She makes a way for them. When we read about Joseph, he did the same thing for his brothers. And he turns around and he says, no, no, what you meant for evil, God used for good. Don't even be angry with yourselves. It was actually a part of God's plan for me so that down the track I could save a whole nation. That rise up attitude that says, no matter what happens in the past, the Lord can redeem the past. And I love actually that she didn't even ask their permission. She didn't go, hey, mum and dad, uh, so these guys are here and I reckon they're a ticket. What do you reckon? Do you want to be in on it? I love that. She didn't even ask. She just stood in the gap. That family member, don't even ask. Just claim them by the blood of Jesus. Just claim them, make a way for them, be confident and allow that hurt and that bitterness to come off your life because the only one it's binding is you, not them. And in fact, you can make a way for the perpetrators in your life, of course, with wisdom. But generosity and honor and prayer go a long way and it's never too late. I want to tell you nothing, 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 nothing is ever lost in the Lord. Nothing is ever lost in the Lord. Romans 8, 26 to 28. The Spirit helps us in our weakness and we don't know what we should pray. He makes intercession for us with groanings that can't be offered, 
understood. Sometimes our hurt, I don't even know what to pray. But we pray with groanings and utterings by the Spirit. An intercession in the will of God, verse 28, and we know that all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. What this requires, in order for you to rise up when you've been hurt and ripped off, it requires maturity. It requires responsibility. It requires ownership. This is my life and I am going to rise up. I'm not going to be at the mercy of any person or any circumstance. I'm going to rise up, a rise up spirit. Number two, because I can hear the keyboard behind me. Seize the present. Hmm. Jimmy Carter, former president of the United States, said, I hate to see complacency prevail in our lives when it's so directly contrary to the teaching of Christ. Complacency. An Australian culture, she'll be right, mate. I'll do it tomorrow, next week, next month. Mm-mm. Got to seize the moment. Do you know the opportunity of a lifetime only lasts the lifetime of the opportunity? Sometimes we just have a moment. She had a moment. One moment. One moment. What if she'd missed it? What if she had missed that moment, but she seized it? You know, I just felt this evening in preparing to let you know that not everybody sees the opportunities. In Jericho, only one person saw it. One person. In a room like this, it might just be one person. It might be two people. But when I get in the pulpit, I'm never preaching to a crowd. I'm preaching to the one person who desperately knows they need Jesus. That one person who will seize the moment. And we have to be vigilant. We have to be alert. We can't save it for a rainy day or put it off. Do you know what? Life's so uncertain that we should just eat dessert first. Do it now. Do it now. I think sometimes we spend more time writing to-do lists than actually doing what needs to be done. Seize the moment. Seize the moment. Seize the moment. And we have to guard those precious moments. She saw them. Somehow they ended up in her house. We don't know how. And then the guards come. I want to tell you, when you seize a moment and you bring that into your world, there's going to be someone knocking on the door to threaten, to snuff out, to put an end to. You need to preserve and you need to guard those precious, precious provisions of the Lord. She hides them in her roof and does whatever it takes to preserve that opportunity. It's in the times of prayer, the times of worship, those secret places as they're tucked away in the secret place that she preserved that opportunity, seize the present. I'd love for you all stand to, feet, to your feet as I deliver this last point. From the life of Rahab, we know that the Lord can redeem the past 
And I want to open the altar in a moment for people who feel like at the hands of someone else, you've been sold out. You feel like you're on the trash heap of humanity. And you just want to give that over. You want the Lord to redeem your past. We've got to seize the moment. Maybe there's just that one person here and you know what you're looking for. And tonight you've seen it. Your spirit is leaping inside you. This is your moment. You've seen it. The last point is this. Oh my goodness. We carve the future. In verse 25, it says, Rahab spared the harlot, her father's house and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day. I want you to come with me. Maybe close your eyes. Rahab not only lived in Israel for the rest of her life, she's actually King David's great-grandmother. And King David was in the lineage of Jesus Christ. How on earth does a harlot get in the lineage of a saviour? Are you kidding me, Lord? Couldn't you have picked someone more upright? I think about her living among the Israelites. The genealogy tells us how she fits into the line, the lineage. What it actually means is that one of these godly men took her as his wife. Can you just think about this for a moment? He had his pick of all the perfect Israelite girls. There's something about her fire caught him. And Jesus came through her. I want to tell you, no matter what has happened to you, no matter what you've done, you can carve the future if you just admit, in everything I've done, in everything I've seen and experienced, in everything that the world is throwing at me, I know who the real God is. And I just want to be counted among His people. Do you notice initially in that passage, it says that they brought them out, her family, and they lived outside the camp? Do you know what? That was enough for me as a young girl. I don't care. I just want to be as close as I can be. As close as I can be. And if it's outside the camp, it's outside the camp. But I just want to be noticed and identified by this living God. That's enough for me. And by His graces, He brought her close. And that's what He does with all of us. He never leaves us outside the camp. He draws us all in and we carve a future. And what a future she carved. She carved your salvation and mine. The harlot named Rahab carved your salvation and my salvation. What can your life accomplish in the Kingdom of Heaven? If you just admit, God, everything I've had in this life is absolutely a farce. 
None of it means anything. You're the only God. You're the only one I want to be recognised by, whatever it takes. I just want to be as close as I can be to You. What is it that can come through Your lineage? What is it? What is it? It's amazing, this concept of carving the future. Winston Churchill said this, History will be kind to me because I intend to write it. Don't be at the mercy of your life. Don't be a victim to your own life. Seize the moment. Seize the moment and carve the future. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message inspires you to unmistakably influence your world for good and for God. Go ahead and share it with a friend. And can I invite you to connect with us on one of our many social media platforms as well. Most importantly, if you made a decision to follow Jesus, I want to say congratulations. This is the beginning of a life-changing journey. We'd love to see you at one of our many City Point Church services around the world this Sunday. And you can find out more about our service times and locations at citypointchurch.com. We would be so thrilled to see you there.